Hey everybody, I'm Scott, and this is Tangents. Well, today I am going to not talk about politics, and I'm not going to make the millionth one of these on Apple and all of this stuff. Um, in fact, I'm going to talk about something completely, completely different. Somewhat related to current events, but only tangentially so. So, I got in a discussion yesterday with someone about switching from in-person to online courses. And I have taught both um, in-person courses and online courses. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exclude things like labs because it's very difficult to do a lab online. I mean, you could do simulations and things, but not the same. I think labs, I'm not going to say you can't do them online, but they're very difficult to do. Uh, I mean, you could almost maybe do it in uh, simulation, like VR or something maybe, but short of that, it's, it's hard. So putting that aside, I'm thinking about lecture courses. And in particular, I'm thinking about um, grade school, middle school, high school, kind of K through 12 stuff. And I'm thinking, which I have not taught by the way. And I'm thinking about like university courses. And one of the things that came up in this discussion, uh, it was a bit of a point of contention, is a lot of people seem to think that you can just translate an in-person lecture directly online and have it be equivalent. And I, I, I do want to say there are several different versions of this. So one version, the stupid, horrible version, uh, which I have done, is basically that you have a lecture in-person lecture and you have a, a camera crew come in, you're mic'd up and they just record the lecture, uh, put it online and then people can take the course. Uh, this is terrible. This is, it's bad for the students, it's bad for the instructor, uh, just ended up being a nightmare. I would never, ever, ever do that again, which is odd considering that this is kind of that in a weird way. But the problem with that, and there are several problems, but one of the big problems with it is that when you have students online and they're just watching a recording of a lecture, you're losing so much. I mean, it's not, it's an interesting thing. Like you don't think of a lecture as a discussion, but a lot of it is. I mean, it's a conversation, I would say, a good, a good lecture. There are terrible lectures. I've been in terrible lectures, probably have done some. Those are not very conversational. But a really good lecture is a conversation uh, between the professor and the students, or the teacher and the students. Now, I would say, I'm not even saying that the students necessarily have to talk back to the professor. Just to be clear, this is not a verbal conversation necessarily. Although when it goes well, it is. There's a little bit of back and forth. But it's more nonverbal, and a lot of it is actually nothing at all to do with the kinds of things that are obvious or that you might think of. So I can, I can spend a long time preparing a lecture, and then I go in, and usually the first time or two that you teach something, it's kind of rough, no matter how much prep work you've done, um, especially if it's a new course. Like I, I, my friend Gil and I made a, made a new course 
uh, was uh, basically supercomputing for non-majors, uh, 400 and 500 level course. And the first time we taught it, it was not bad, but there are just some things that you don't know until you do it. And like one of the worst ones was some of the projects that we made. Uh, we made, we gave assignments that for us were not like a big deal. Um, not realizing that for the students, they would be kind of a nightmare and uh, they were just ridiculously hard. Uh, well, by my standards, still not that hard. The students found them very hard. And it's an interesting thing. When you're a professor, you can, it, it's that shoe tying thing I always talk about. The first time you learn how to tie your shoes, it's so much harder than now you don't even look and you just tie them and you're on your way. So that is a big problem. Uh, and it was very, like finding the right level of like, how do you do, how do you make a program that's not trivial? And especially that's not one that people can just find online, like implementations of, because there are certain problems that just exist and they're like the common, if you're doing domain decomposition was one of the things that we did. Uh, that's like, how do you break up a system? to model it and then distribute those parts to various parts of the supercomputer, massively multi-parallel supercomputer, and then recombine them. There are certain problems that people just do all the time. And if you give that assignment, and especially the ones that were in one of the textbooks that we had, any of those assignments, you'd find code online for it. And some of our students not only found it, uh, we discovered through them finding it and using it that the code that was online for some of these things was wrong. Yeah, so that, you know, like the solutions that they posted were wrong. Um, this is a, actually, this is a tangent, but very generally, I always, I, I'm not somebody who tends to, um, I don't know, I, I've never valued like rote memorization. I've never valued this idea of like, you know, uh, and this actually connects to flying. There are all of these mnemonics that people try to give you. Um, tomatoes of flame, for example. And there, there are things where like each letter represents something. In my opinion, and I, I maybe this is just me, but in my opinion, people like bust their asses trying to study this way. And then they memorize something, and I guess it kind of works, but you're not really understanding it. You're not really understanding, okay, like, uh, for that particular example, what are the flight instruments that you need to fly with legally? Uh, the minimal set for visual flight rules. And then you think about it and it's like, well, okay, one way to do it is tomato of a flame or tomato of flame or whatever. There are several versions of it, but it's like, which is another odd thing. And each one of these things is like the tachometer, the altimeter, and then, you know, but the thing is, if you just think about it, you know, you can spend your time like busting your ass, memorizing this, not understanding it. And if you don't understand it, it's really easy to miss something or to make an error. Uh, this is not the way to learn. This is a way to learn, but it's very inefficient. And when you study that way, um, you, first off, you're, gonna, you're not gonna own it. You're not gonna, as soon as the class is over, take that test and it's gone, poof. Maybe you have a really good memory, but for the most part, people will forget this stuff. This is why um, people who study calculus, for example, or they study some kind of science thing and they study it in this way, um, 10 years later, don't remember how to do it. If you actually understand how calculus works, you own it. And I, I always think of, um, 
when I was an undergrad, I took abstract algebra, and, which is very different from regular algebra. But abstract algebra, it's a lot of proofs, and you're talking about like different things that uh, they're called fields and groups and uh, you know, abelian versus non Things that uh, all of those terms probably either you totally know what they are or they mean nothing to you. But the basic idea is that you take things with some of the relationships that you're used to from math, like addition, multiplication, uh, and some of these properties, and then you kind of generalize them. Uh, the real numbers that you're used to or integers are special cases of fields and groups um, under multiplication, addition, um, yeah. And these things are kind of more general cases. Those are special cases, but you're understanding this bigger picture. And all of that is just to say that my professor was also my general relativity slash differential geometry and topology professor later on, years later. Um, he gave us this analogy, which I loved. And he was like, well, yeah, okay, you could be, he's in the, in the class and saying like, you could, I think this was the first day, but he's like, you could memorize these proofs. And, you know, first off, it's going to take forever. It's going to be a really fucking hard thing. Second, you have to memorize like a thousand variations of stuff. It's so much material. You have to just memorize. Finally, you know, you don't own it. You don't understand it. What he suggested doing and what I suggest doing um, is to take some seeds with you. There are some things that you do have to memorize. You know, I mean, you don't necessarily have to. You could do, uh, I, I taught physics a bunch of times. That's my PhD and I, you know, so I did it as a grad student, I taught it. And then later on I taught it um, after I got my PhD. Uh, but when you teach it, very often, you let people take a sheet of notes in. I always took these classes and I would pretty much never bring a sheet of notes because I, I knew for this stuff, maybe I'd memorize a few formulas, but for the most part, don't even have to do that. And if you really understand stuff, I mean, this is the thing. If you really understand it, most of those formulas are just manipulations of the fundamental stuff. Like there's a simple thing, and if you understand that simple thing, you can recreate all of that stuff and stuff that you didn't even think of. So you go into the class, you say, okay, well, you can make a sheet of notes. Often the teacher will be, or the prof will say like one-sided. Um, some of them will say two, you know, full sheet, whatever. And then you'll get some kids who come in and they've got like a sheet and you look at it and it's like microfilm, like fucking crazy dense. It's like a book translated to the whole sheet, just condensed down. And the thing about this is, like, okay, you've got probably everything you need there, but you don't understand it. So as soon as you don't have that sheet, you're fucked. You probably can't, unless you have a really good indexing system or you have a lot of practice, finding that little grain of sand in that beach, um, it's gonna be hard. If instead you memorize the very tiniest bit, which is, this is another nice thing about bringing seeds, the seeds are memorizable. You don't have to retain like all of this bullshit. You know the fundamental little bits. And then once you have those seeds, you can just plant them and water them and grow them. And you can get that whole garden of all of those things. And because you own it, 
you can do things that, you know, it's a totally, and this is, a, if I'm doing a test, if I'm, I mean, like creating the test, I like to give something where it's a little twist on what you've seen. So if you've memorized and you've taken all of the problems in the book, um, and then I do a little curveball, and I'm not doing it like to trick people, I'm just doing it to make sure people understand and aren't just memorizing stuff. Uh, if you understand it, the curveball is not a curveball. It's just another application of planting your seeds, watering them, and growing them. If you just memorized how to do exactly what was in the book, you have this brittle construct that will fall apart as soon as you do anything that's a little bit different. And you'll have like 10 things that are just slight variations on the original. And if you don't understand how to get there, uh, you're fucked. You like, you know, it's, it's ah. And I, I think this is one of the big sources actually of test anxiety. Because people, they try to memorize all this stuff. They try to use all of these sort of cheats, essentially. And all they're doing is cheating themselves out of actually learning and owning the material. So this, this is a thing, but it's something that drives me nuts. And it's something that I'm feeling a lot. Um, because there's a lot of stuff, in order to do the private pilot written exam, um, there's a lot of stuff I have to memorize or remember. I shouldn't say memorize, but remember. And part of it is actually, it's a, it's a lot of it is open book kind of stuff. But I think a lot of it also, if you understand like what is the problem you're trying to solve, there's a logic to a lot of it. Now, maybe not the way to memorize and to remember airspaces. Like what are the visibility requirements in a class echo airspace? And that, yeah. Okay, maybe that one actually requires a little bit more. Although I was just, uh, just watching it. One of the reasons I'm thinking about this just happened on a YouTube video of a guy who was explaining this really beautiful way of basically taking these seeds. And the two, the seeds that he had were like, you make a C and then you make a little, like a, uh, two, two hieroglyphs and you put the number 313. And uh, then from that, he could basically recreate, you know, if you just put that down, that's your seed and you know the path, then he could recreate all of the uh, airspace visibility requirements, um, just, you know, de novo, essentially. If you know, like, okay, I'm flying VFR, what do I need to know? Why, do, you know, don't remember tomatoes of flame or something. Maybe if that helps you, I guess, but don't remember that. Remember, okay, I need to know my altitude. So you probably need an altimeter. I need to know this, I need to know that. To me, much more useful. And also, like, yeah, it, it's just, it's kind of crazy to me, like all this memorization, like you see people panicking and freaking out. And I think a lot of why they're freaking out is because they're trying to swallow the ocean instead of remembering just, you know, all you need is that little pouch of seeds and to know how to garden. And once you know how to garden that stuff and you know how to, I've grown this kind of plant before. I know how to do it. I've done that a few times. I'm really good at it. And now you've got it. And once you have that, uh, you won't memorize calculus and just be able to do it in the class. You'll five or 10 years later have a problem. And I'll tell you the number of problems that you find in life 
I keep coming back to calculus because people, I, I, I hear people say all the time, never use my math after high school. Yeah, the reason that you don't is because you don't understand how to fucking use it. It's like if you don't know how to use a hammer, then you'll come up across some problem and you'll be like, oh, I'll just have to, how do I pound this nail in? If you don't know how to use the tools, then you'll see all these problems and you won't even know there's a tool to do it. You'll just do some stupid ass roundabout way or you won't even solve the problem. You'll just kind of guess, uh, which is a terrible, terrible solution. So rolling back to the online classes thing, the best online classes, the, well, the best, best version is like the, it's a weird book, but the Diamond Age. In the Diamond Age, there's this uh, book, which is, this, it's really based on nanotechnology and it's kind of this, it's a book because it's being a little weird. It's a physical book, looks like a book, but it's actually, you know, doesn't, it's kind of silly. But the important thing is it's meant to be, it's not really, but it's meant to be an artificially intelligent system that acts as a personal mentor. And in the future, I believe what will happen uh, is that you will essentially have, instead of like a Google kind of thing, you will have a tool that kind of follows you through your whole life. Imagine, imagine you have um, an expert in every subject or basically every subject in the, in the world. And you just, you have a question and you can just ask. And not only can you ask and get an answer, this expert knows what you know, knows where you're coming from. It can present it at exactly your level, knows exactly how you understand things. And, you know, each time you do this, it kind of refines all of its models. At some point, that's what you'll have. And at that point, you probably don't need lectures exactly. Although if you wanted them, I, I love lectures. I think they're, they're great. People, a lot of people don't like them. And I don't know, some would argue like it's a learning style thing. I think a lot of it is just people, they don't learn how to learn well. And so they're, they're like trying to swallow the ocean kind of person or they're freaked out about the test and they're just learning the stuff. Like, what do I need? Horrible, if you teach anything, you get the students that come in, what do I need to know on the test? It's like, and I understand practically, okay. But a test is, and a te I mean, a, don't get me wrong, a test is important in, in terms of like grading you and figuring out where you stand. But your grade doesn't matter nearly as much as you learning the material and you understanding it and you being able to go away from that class a little bit richer because of it. That's what the, the, the test is fundamentally, if it's well-designed, is there to kind of shine, well, it's a, it's a learning aid. It helps you gauge where you are, helps the professor understand where you are. And the best part about it is the stuff that you missed, you can study more, you can learn, you can go, okay, I didn't know this, I didn't know that. It's not meant to fit, I mean, some people do construct it this way, but a test should not be meant to fail you. And like homework should not be just busy work. It was one thing that I just despised as a student. And I see, I don't have kids, but I have a lot of friends who have kids and I hear a lot of people talking about, and I don't know if this is just their perception, but a lot of just homework load that sounds like unnecessary bullshit. Not, not my favorite fucking thing. 
Homework could be like reading material or going over something. Maybe even like, here's a set of problems. If I, if, when I'm teaching something, almost never give homework, mainly because grading it sucks. Yeah, grading it is terrible. Grading it is worse than doing it. And second, people don't like it, they don't wanna do it. But what I would do is say, okay, well, this is the stuff that I expect you to understand and here's a set of problems. Go through those and, you know, like try this one, try that one. If you understand it, there's no need to go through the other 15. Um, and if you want, we can go over it in class. We can certainly, and the nice thing about that is, if you have a question, and this is getting back to this conversation, if you have a question, there's almost certainly several other people, and in any class of any size, you can pretty much guarantee other people have the same question. They just don't want to say it. It's, it's one of the reasons why it's frustrating as a professor, like, and, and to be fair, as a student, I pretty much never ask a question. But, uh, to be fair also to myself, not because I, I didn't have them, but, I, they're not, but anyway, mostly because I didn't have them is what I was trying to say. But, if somebody has a question, I would always be relieved because you'd see, and this is one of the things where, which you lose, especially in that recording, the, the worst possible case. In the recording, you don't have any kind of feedback from the students. You don't know if they're understanding and following what you're talking about. You don't know if they're completely fucking lost. Um, and, and if you're talking, you know, even if they're not responding, you're saying stuff and you look at them and you're like, these guys, they're not, they have no fucking clue what I'm talking about. And I, I mean, I would, I would try to periodically check in and say, you know, like, is everybody following? And then kind of, at, you know, like hit the brakes. Let's check things out to make sure, okay, you de they actually do. Sometimes they'll surprise you and you're like, okay, I thought you didn't get it, but you're just stuck. And this is another thing, because I'm bored because I've already got this stuff, can look very similar to, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about and I'm confused as hell. And you have to kind of tease that apart. The ability to look at the students and to see where people are confused, to see that they're catching and to kind of adjust the pace. And every, every course I've ever given, um, every class that you have, it kind of has its own flavor. You know, I mean, it's a different group of students. It's not so many students that it's kind of a homogenous mix and they're not sampled randomly from a large enough population. It's, it's going to have a lot of variation. The backgrounds of people, some people I've taught, physics where some people would have calculus and some people didn't. Not having calculus and teaching physics is, you know, it's like trying to work on, you know, literature without actually having English. You know, it's kind of a language is just missing there. You can, you can do it. There are ways to do it, but you have to go through these weird circuitous paths. And even then, if you know what calculus is, you're like, this fucking far from a much clearer and simpler understanding of something, but you have to go through this weird version of it that's just ugly. Um, yeah, it's just physics is very much in the language of calculus, and calculus not that hard, despite you know, if if you have tried, it's one of these things actually. I would say, if you have trouble understanding calculus, you probably had a bad teacher or you had a bad class. I don't think 
you know, unless there's something actually like cognitively wrong with you, I'm pretty sure you could understand it. It's not that complicated conceptually. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to be able to do like Lebesgue integration and complex analysis and figure out how to integrate over abstract sets of measure zero or, you know, whatever, or finite measure, whatever, things like that. Yeah, okay. Maybe you're getting a little bit beyond some people. But when you're just talking about calculus, it's not that hard. In fact, I would say it's almost arguably, certainly on par with algebra or arithmetic. If you have, if you can grasp either of those, you can understand calculus. And if you can understand it, then the number of problems that you can solve in your everyday life, uh, it's, it's shocking, shocking. Um, and when I say everyday life, I don't necessarily mean you're at home like cleaning and then, oh, there's a calculus problem here. Uh, although you can find them if you look for them. But I do mean like, you know, you'll have something either at work or, I mean, this is a, like linear programming comes up very often. Like how do you, how do you want to optimize this thing? Uh, being able to put it together and solve it is so powerful. And if you have that, you own it. If you don't have it, you, you're like, ah, I don't know, I'm going to kind of just wing it and guess. Certainly going to guess wrong. Uh, but anyway, worst lecture is pretty much this. I have no idea while you're listening to this, if you're following me, if I'm boring you, um, if you're like riveted at the edge of your seats. And I don't know, I, like I can't see you. So I don't know what the distribution is too. So it could be like one person and it's a hard, this, the hardest thing when you have an in-person lecture is you'll have the one person who's like, got it. And they're like, come on, move on. And then you have the other 20 people who are like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. This is just, it doesn't even make sense. How do you adjust for that? And then getting to that future thing where you just have your own personal synthetic mentor, um, artificial mentor. But until we have that, um, the better kind of online course that I've seen is something kind of in between. It's recordings, but also, you know, like, essentially something where you're kind of self-guided. The recordings are shorter, generally, not necessarily, but generally shorter. And you're able to kind of say, okay, I've got this, or tell me more about this, or I've got the minimum that I need and that's all I want. And then you have somebody else who's like, I, I know that I don't need this stuff to, to get this class, but I want to know more about that. And having those, these, this ability to take the paths. I mean, imagine that you had a lecture where all of the, and this is, this is totally doable with today's technology. It's not that big of a deal even. Uh, you record the lecture and especially if you've prepared the lecture really well. And I've gone down, like I've got the maximal lecture um, and all of the variations, all of the branches that make sense, all of the questions people might have, I've answered. And then you take all of those bits and you assemble them in a system where the student can kind of pick their path. If, you, if you're someone like me and you love the tangents, listen to the fucking tangents. If you're someone who hates them and they're out there and you know, hopefully, hopefully you're not watching, if you're watching this and you're somebody who hates people going off on tangents, Obviously you're watching the wrong thing, but if you're one of the people that likes tangents, um, you go through the tangents. If you don't, just don't, you could just forego it. 
you could get the this would be the kind of online course that uh, I think would be better now preparing for that is radically different and a completely different mindset than just recording your lecture this is it's not quite to the fully like you've got your own mentor your own tutor but it's it's getting close to that it's kind of the cool thing about it is actually it's like in terms of the technology that you need the, the personal mentor thing it's pretty advanced um, artificial intelligence the lots of paths and just uh, really well put together video that lets you go on different you know take different channels um, that's pretty easable or pretty easy it's just a matter kind of of coding and more than even coding it's just kind of putting the stuff together editing it it's it's a lot of production work it's a lot of upfront work and if there are the cool thing about it if it's done well but also the painful thing is somebody has a question that you haven't answered or they have a path they want to take that you haven't taken you can go back add that in and now anyone in the future who wants that path or who has that question gets it if you go back and you're like oh, i didn't really explain this very well you can go back and sub that out for a new version of it that's much better or you can now that now you even have two versions and you could say okay this is the better version for most people but there are some people who might find this one better or you watch this one and if you still don't get it then you can watch the other one you know and so on and that's yeah, pretty good then in kind of in the middle and this is sort of where a lot of people are today um, you have the sort of zoom thing and the nice thing about it is that it gives you the ability to have a remote classroom where you actually have people and you can actually have a conversation with them to some extent uh, you can see the students which is a big deal you can see like you can actually have them ask questions uh, if you do this well you could have a thousand like there's a there's an upper limit in terms of like space and this kind of stuff to if you're in a big lecture hall and you have 150 people you can do that but you can't really get much beyond it in uh, this sort of online thing if it's done well i could have a thousand people or several thousand people all taking my live lecture and if it's done really well and i have you know you imagine i can see the highlights and sort of roving pictures of people uh, coming in and out and then if somebody has a question um, i start seeing people you know like ballooning up a little bit and i'm like you what is your question does anyone know and then you kind of yes that sort of thing can work pretty well it's not great but it works pretty well um, the difference is, of course, that now, I mean, well, in terms of preparation, the, from the professor's side, it's not that much different than preparing a regular lecture. The difference is still, like, you have to have the right tools. You have to have, um, the, the, the really hard part, at least for me, is I, for example, really like to stand. And in fact, I like to move around. Just standing weird thing maybe this is an age thing i don't know but just standing in one place i find unpleasant like yeah, yeah i need to move around i need to if i'm if i'm giving a lecture i'm walking i'm i'm always walking if i'm giving a meeting or if i'm having a meeting with somebody usually i do a walk and talk not right now where it's 40 degrees the 40 degrees i don't know how much that is in uh, in what i like to refer to as the devil's units but 40 degrees celsius is pretty fucking hot and it gets 
up to 50 here, incidentally, Phoenix. But 40 degrees, plenty hot for me. And you know, if you're in the shade, it's not that bad, but it's pretty fucking hot. It's just not pleasant. So anyway, with all of that, these are things that uh, I kind of thought, think a lot about. I think the biggest thing actually weirdly, even though the thing I wanted to talk most about was just the online stuff, I think if you're gonna take anything away from what I just said, the seed thing, that is the nugget. That is the little, you know, the rest of this is kind of a bunch of dirt and, uh, and rocks and stuff. And then there's that little bit of gold ore. It's the seeds. The seeds are the thing that, um, if, you, if you didn't, if you've already done that, then you've got it. Maybe though, it gives you kind of a better way to think about it. If you haven't done it though, and you're the one that's taking that, uh, the novelty sheet. I mean, it's always funny when you see the person that's got this sheet. And then usually the person with the sheet that's like microprint, you, you, you know this is coming, really, when they're doing the test. Every once in a while, somebody surprises you, but pretty much. They have that, and then you see this person like freaking out, digging through their thing, trying to find the one answer to what you're doing, and they're just never gonna find it because you have a slight twist on something. And again, I don't like the idea of saying that you're like, it's not a curveball. It's just instead of going through this path or this path, you've taken a different path. They're all equivalent paths. And if you understand it, going through all of these paths works just as well. If you don't understand it though, and you just have memorized or written down this particular path and that particular path, you're lost. You're totally lost. So take that. Learn just to find the seeds and cultivate them. And I think really this is something, especially in education, um, but in general in life, if you're learning stuff, find the seeds, learn how to grow them. Don't just memorize shit. Um, and also, like if you're teaching something, if you're teaching people stuff and they have to memorize it, oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that memory is necessarily even that, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's very useful. Being able to remember the Battle of Hastings was in 1066 or something like, you know, just some, pull some random dates and names and shit out of your, out of your ass. It's useful. And if you have a brain, I mean, this is part of the, the thing. You could have a brain augmentation and have perfect fidelity memory and be able to just Google anything wouldn't make you particularly smarter. It would just give you kind of that stuff at your disposal. But if you understand it, it's a very different and much more powerful and frankly easier thing. This is one of the reasons, I think this will be the last thing that I say, but whenever I would take a lecture, I would usually sit in the lecture and I'd pay attention. This is the most important thing if you're taking a lecture. Pay attention and think about what they're saying don't have this thing where you're like panicked and you're like, I gotta memorize this, I gotta memorize that, what's gonna be on the test? You can, if you think like that, you're gonna be fucked. Relax, pay attention, hopefully enjoy yourself. And when there are little things, maybe jot them down. And the important thing about jotting down the notes, like I would never, pretty much never look at my notes. But if I wrote something down, the act of writing it down highlighted it in my mind and sort of cemented it there more. It's kind of, and, and it doesn't work for me. I, 
everybody's different. But I've tried it with a keyboard, I've tried it on a tablet. Um, I don't know what it is. Computer does not work as well. Writing it down on paper just works for me much better. Typing it, you know, writing it on a tablet, it's kind of, yeah, kind of works. Not quite as good. The nice thing about that is if you do it on a tablet, you can search and you can find your stuff a lot easier and you can keep all of your notes forever. Um, typing it never has helped me. Uh, a lot of people would also like, oh, I need to see the, give me the slides. I need the slides for the lecture. And then they'll get the slides and they'll have the slides on the, and like, I almost think that giving somebody the slides for the presentation is counterproductive. Um, maybe it's useful if you could just plunk that down in your notes and like draw a little bit. But in general, I think it's more confusing and distracting. I would offer it to people when they, uh, when they wanted it, but it, yeah. I, I usually don't use slides anymore also because A, the slides, doing slides well takes a lot of prep. But also, and this is the important thing, I find that uh, if, you, if you have the slide, what's on the slide is not as easy to pay attention to or memorize or focus on the right stuff. It's nice for like pictures or something that you can't draw. But if you're sitting there and you're like, okay, and here's the formula, whatever you're writing when you're doing that, much better and the pacing is much better versus the slide, you're like, you could have all of this text and you can, even if I have the text appear or even like fade in as if I was writing it, it doesn't click as well. Um, at least again, everybody's different. But from my perspective, having gone through many classes, it doesn't get in there as well as when it's written, which is one of the reasons why, you know, and also like the biggest thing for me. And again, like if you are, this artificially intelligent tutor, um, you can sit there and create your visual aids in real time faster than the person is thinking because you know if you if you can be that smart, you can be much smarter than a person much faster. And so now you've got your slides, and the slides are just exactly what you need when you need them. But if you're a human or you don't have an interface to generate that kind of stuff, you're in your lecture, and then you're like, well, shit, this is my slide, but. Now I want to talk about something that is a little different or somebody asks a question and you're like, you're right, actually, in this case, and then you want to change it. Um, it it's very brittle. It's not, uh, it doesn't give you that much ability to sort of ebb and flow. And that again gets to like a good online or in-person lecture ebbs and flows. It's a conversation again. It's something where, you know, the, ability and then the conversation is an ongoing thing it's like it's not just like one instance of a conversation you have the same students the same professor and the professor kind of starts knowing the students the students start learning the professor's style people ask questions and now from that and it's like oh okay we last week we did this quiz tomorrow or last month we did this test now i know what you know i know what you don't know i know where you're kind of fuzzy. I know what is like, you know, solid and we don't even need to touch again. It's so useful. It's so useful. It's like having that multi-hit thing where you just keep coming back. Um, it's very, very good. I do think there's a, also a utility to having it be, I, I have to say, now maybe this is just because it's how I learned. Um, 
and it's not actually that great, but for me, my favorite kinds of lectures, well, first off, my favorite kind of teaching, I'd, I'd rather learn from a lecture than either a one-on-one -on -one kind of mentor, uh, tutor kind of thing, or pretty much anything else. Um, I've had, when I did general relativity, it was like a, a reading class uh, with the professor and I was the only student. Yeah, so that was like a, it's a different kind of experience. And it was nice, it's very nice, because you have this kind of conversation, you can have, you know, they know exactly where you are. You don't have to work for like, trying to find the mean for like 20 kids, or you know, 50 or whatever. Um, you can teach exactly to that person and you can kind of go down paths. And the nice thing about that class also was like, we didn't have a defined scope. So, you know, it's like, okay, well you, you're learning about uh, tensor manifold or you know tensor bundles or something. Well, let's talk a little bit more about this. And you, know, you get to this and you're like, ah, we don't really care about that. We want to do more of this. And you kind of figure stuff out, um, gives you a lot of flexibility. But a lecture, yeah, there's something, there's something for me nice about that. I like the more passive style. I like, um, I find it going to sound maybe bad, but I find it, um, it's not, it, it's not even laziness. I don't know what it is exactly, but I find it much more intensive to go in and be in person one-on-one -on -one with somebody. And for me, you know, I'd go to the lecture, I'd sit in the back of the class, pay attention, write down what I needed to. My notes would be unintelligible incidentally. And I'd just, you know, like they'd go in my notebook and at the end of the semester, I'd take all of the sheets out and recycle them. Um, never having looked at them again, which, you know, I, most of the time, unless it was like a figure or certain things, pretty much could not read my own handwriting. But I'd much rather that. The lecture, which is, you know, I've had courses which are every day. Um, every day is a lot. You know, three days a week seems to be the right number for me. Two days a week, eh, it's a little too much. Um, and what do you mean too much? Well, two days a week, usually it'd be like a hour, 10 minute class. Whereas three days a week was like a 50 minute class. And those 50 minute classes would be just to my attention span. And then by the end of that, I'm like ready to go off to the next thing. Uh, the two day a week classes, which ASU really, really loves, uh, suck to me because I'd get to the 50 minute mark, give or take. I might have a little margin in there, but the last like 10 minutes was excruciating for me. I'd just be sitting there and be like, I need to fucking go. I'm gonna, you know, my mind's gonna explode here. I can't stand it anymore. And that's even with a professor that I liked, you know, when it was somebody that was like, when it was somebody who monotonously taught like this and who never made a contact, or even maybe who just looked at the, at the blackboard and wouldn't, or the whiteboard and didn't say anything and just kind of, you know, when you have somebody like that and it's an hour, 10 minutes of that, um, even if that's a very nice person, it's painful, fucking painful. And then I would like, I'm, I'm not someone who would actually fall asleep in courses. It happened literally in my life one time. I was at, it was an infectious disease microbiology course in Hawaii. And I don't know what happened this day. Um, it was like around lunchtime and the, the lecture wasn't particularly boring or anything. It was just like, I don't know. At the time I used to get like eight hours of sleep, which now seems you know, like a dream, but um, I, I, like maybe I didn't sleep well that day, maybe something, maybe I was a little off, whatever it was, this one day, 
I didn't fall asleep, but I was like, you know, that thing where you're like uh, almost asleep and then you catch yourself. Uh, and it was, it was a little scary because it's not something that happens to me. I have usually like focused and if I need to, to be, I'm able to do that. But anyway, thank you very much um, for listening as always. I, uh, I enjoyed this one. I love the fact that I wasn't talking about some of this other bullshit that I'm always talking about. Um, I will say this, you know, one thing, I'm not a fan of Biden. Um, I don't think, you know, don't think it goes well. Um, I really fucking hope that Trump just fades into oblivion here. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I despise, like the situation that we're in is so fucked. And part of the thing that makes it fucked is just that it's like we have this opportunity because things are so obviously so like certain things need to change. I think it's obvious. And I think the directions are also kind of obvious. And the people who will like we have two options. One of those two options is like part of the reason that the other one that's even worse is there in the first place. Fucking great. Uh, it, we need universal health care. You know, it's so fucking obvious. Um, every other developed country in the world, every one of our peer countries has some form of this, or at least they have something that keeps you from having medical bankruptcy and from all of these other horrible things that we have. And yet, you know, just more of the same, more of this bullshit privatization, more of this, uh, you know, like private insurance companies and like, Ah, we the, the problem with the ACA, with Romney Care, is that we didn't do it enough, right? It's not that it sucks. It's not that it's just fundamentally a dumb way of doing it. It's not that fundamentally certain things are better run by government. You know, shocker. There are certain things where the profit motive is not productive. And it's not even, it doesn't give you a better experience or outcome or anything it just makes certain people richer, you know? And actually this will be, this will be literally the last thing that I say, but in general aviation or aviation in general, it made sense, don't worry about it. Uh, in aviation in general, the FAA and in particular air traffic control, there's this big push and there has been for decades to privatize it. And I gotta tell you, like, first off, somebody pointed this out yesterday and it's fucking true would not exist in this utopian fantasy of, you know, like everything is private and we're just, you know, there's just not a way to make it work. And so, you know, so the, if you think about that anarcho-capitalist bullshit thing, it, it, it wouldn't exist. But the same fucking people who would make a system where you wouldn't even have this beautiful gem want to steal it. They want to take this thing that they couldn't have made and wouldn't have made and it's this public good that's actually pretty it's amazing actually like air traffic control the fact that it works uh yeah you can fly a plane and you enter somebody's airspace well you're entering somebody's airspace you can call in and say you know i um i need a flight a vfr flight following or you know i'm um coming in for a landing or whatever uh you get permission you you have somebody who's watching you on radar and taking care of all this stuff it's fucking awesome. It's it's great. And then you have these assholes trying to privatize it. It's, it's just so fucked. Like, so 
And then all they're doing fundamentally, as far as I'm concerned, is just trying to plunder. And then not as far as I'm concerned. Fuck that. Literally all they're doing is that there's this thing where there's a bunch of money and it's public money and they want to steal it. They want to get in there and rip it off. They don't really care about doing it well or any better. Uh, they don't care about, you know, they don't even care actually, this is part of the lie. It's not that they want to run it as a business and do it well, they just want to bleed it. Like the people who get into National Health NHS in, in the UK, the fucking Tories, they just want to bleed that fucking shit dry. They don't want to make it better. They don't want to do this or that. Or, you know. They just want to say, they're like, oh shit, there's a lot of money there. It'd be really nice if I could get, you know, my, uh, my fangs into that and, you know, like slurp up some. But enough of that. Um, hopefully we'll do more of this luxury kind of thing and less, or, you know, like conversation. It has nothing to do with any of that because it's so fucking non-productive. But uh, now I really do have to go actually too. So thank you again. Say Jim.